shining a light on the darkness of addiction and mental illness, and providing the peer support and programming needed to offer people hope for a better life takes a high level of expertise, determination, and compassion. You'll hear how Jude Solano and her team at the Southern Colorado Harm Reduction Association bring these qualities to bear in their Pueblo, Colorado community every day on this episode of Making Our World Better. Welcome to the Making Our World Better podcast, where you will find motivation and encouragement through lively conversations with inspirational people who every day are making our world a better place. Now, here's your host, Jay Clark. Welcome to the podcast. I am Jay Clark, and I am excited to have a conversation with Jude Solano, co-founder and CEO of the Southern Colorado Harm Reduction Association, which has become a highly effective public health service and system since its founding in 2017. Jude's experience as a registered nurse ranges from emergency medicine to hospice, and her passion and specialty are in the areas of trauma, mental health, and substance use disorders. Having worked in traditional treatment, she started to see the gaps between treatment and recovery that were negatively impacting people trying to obtain wellness and functionality. While working on her graduate degree, she began to examine trends around the world and researched harm reduction as a movement and philosophy. Can't wait to hear more. The data from harm reduction methods show strong efficacy for helping people who are struggling with mental illness and substance use disorders. Jude has a master's degree in healthcare informatics and management systems, a bachelor's degrees in psychology and nursing. Among many of her honors, she was the 2021 recipient of the Mental Health America Pandemic Hero Award. And in 2020, she was the recipient of the Nightingale Award from the Colorado Nurses Association for nursing in a non-traditional nursing practice. Wow. Welcome, Jude, and thanks for being here. Hi, Jay. Thank you for having me. So how would you describe the Southern Colorado Harm Reduction Association to somebody that doesn't know anything about it? Oh, goodness. So one of the things I like to share with folks around the state is many have um, an idea of Pueblo or they're very familiar with Pueblo. And it's either it's very much this love or hate (laughs) type of mentality. And, you know, Pueblo has a fascinating and amazing history. I'm actually a Pueblo native. I was a steel mill baby. Nice. So I grew up here and I remember back in the, aging myself the 60s and 70s, when it, things were thriving, it was it was booming here. Right. There was such a multicultural diversity and it was just a very rich, giving, loving, caring town. So, um, you know, when when the steel mill lost and got bought out in the 80s, right. we just saw, including the neighborhood that we exist in right now, basically became um, a neglected and very much impacted negatively neighborhood. So, yeah. but, and when I came back, I actually came back to Pueblo. I was never going to come back to Pueblo to live again. Uh-huh. Um, I, from the age of 18 <laughs> till, till recently, but the right. five, five years ago, I did not want to be here, but um, at Five years ago, when I was finishing my graduate degree and I knew I was going to start an organization, I realized that Pueblo had the highest overdose death rate per capita in the state. So wow. it was then that I knew I needed to go home. 
And wow. I am so grateful that I did. So I, when I came back, I um, forged a relationship with a, a, a retiring ER doc, and he was already running what we call a syringe service program out of his vehicle. Now, wow. we, those are, for those that don't aren't familiar, syringe service programs are, you know, they're very much misunderstood. It's a public health practice that gives people um, clean supplies and decreases the spread of communicable diseases such as HIV and hep C. And so we also, what people don't realize is this practice and that particular program helps us as healthcare professionals interact with people, right. develop that trust and that relationship. Right. So they can ask questions. They can engage in their healthcare. Yeah. They can decide, hey, I've got a support system now. I want to get well. So that's why we do what we do, a big chunk of it. And yeah. people are staying healthier. So, um, you know, uh, five years ago in 2017, again, but kind of going back to what you were saying, as I started to look around the world as to how other countries were addressing this crisis, right. um, they every single one of them, the word harm reduction and the model started to crop up. And for me, again, being trained the way I was, as most healthcare professionals are, um, we have a different paradigm on how to address this. It's more in the the Western medicine clinical mm-hmm. system or law enforcement to create, right. you know, to address the maladaptive behaviors that emerge from substance use disorders. Right. But what we fail to recognize, and this was my thing, is it's a brain illness. The brain is sick. That's what drugs do to the brain. Yeah. And there isn't a single uh, chronic health condition in the world that we treat the way we treat addiction. You know, we don't arrest people that are diabetics who eat cake and cookies. We don't, you know, we don't, people that have anxiety disorders, we don't throw them in jail when they have uh, an outbreak. Unless, you know, well, I guess that's debatable too. <laughs> but um, you know, do you know what I mean, though? So heart yeah. conditions, when people yeah. are are pushing the limits and the parameters of their heart condition and mm-hmm. their their provider knows they're going to get even more sick. We don't jail these people. Right. This is no different. And you know there's there's plenty of science to show the alterations of an addictive person in their brain, the the different functions yeah. of the brain, they're unable to the reasoning, you know, the frontal lobe. I mean, I can get into a lot of technical right. things about it, but the, the reality is, is, is until we get that point, and that's what other countries did. So, for example, Portugal. Portugal in 20, the year 2000 had the worst drug crisis per capita in the world. People wow. were literally dying in the streets um, from heroin overdoses. Mm. And they, at that point in time, they did not legalize drugs, but they decriminalized drugs. And it took them 10 years. What that did, it allowed the healthcare community to get out there and start addressing it as a healthcare um, chronic health condition. So um, com- government started to fund more social workers to go out to do clean supply issues to address the mental health of individuals and right. those weren't that were untreated because that's a big chunk of this untreated yep. serious chronic um psychotic 
disorders. So right. um, we we had they they were able to do that in ten years. It took them ten years, which is really not a lot of time. They went from being the worst country with the drug crisis to the best. Wow! And still to this day, they be you know they have services and systems and like Sweden actually. Um, and I know this this would never fly in the U.S., but they actually have physicians and providers who prescribe pure heroin. Oh, it's almost wow. like a methadone. So mm. people can use the dose they need not to be sick, but then they're functional. They can wow. work jobs. They can take care of right. their family. They mm-hmm. just need this medicine. And so those are things, you know, we need to be open to the possibilities yeah. because what we do know is what has been um, the method of addressing this issue in the U.S. has done nothing but increase our incarceration rates. Yeah, it, it, it's sad. And, you know, I, I to say I know anything about this would be a stretch. But the one thing I've, I'm learning is when it comes to these mental illness issues, which are usually at the root of the addiction problems, there is no such thing as a one size fits all solution. And, you know, how are you tailoring your services and and your treatments to the people that you're working with? Great question. Thank you for asking that. So uh, let me just share that um, the model that we're building here at Southern Colorado Harm Reduction is very unique in my mind. Um, we we definitely have adopted the harm reduction model by having syringe service program, by having overdose prevention services, by having HIV hep C testing and um, other resources for individuals. But in addition to that, I wanted to, you know, for me and my my beautiful town of Pueblo Mm -hmm. there, you can't address the individual and a certain population of people. This community has been impacted by this, the entire community, whether people want to admit it or not, it is, you know, we we are just seeing complete devastation of people's lives that are so sick and, um, and on the streets and struggling and right. losing their families and losing their ability to survive right. and just doing day to day. So some of the programming over the, the for the last five years that I put into place are um, a couple things. We have what's called a life empowerment and, um, and fulfillment program. Uh, we started calling it life skills, but it's not really life skills. It, it, right. it is part of that, but it's on steroids because mm-hmm. we need to address with people. Um, we go in, actually, this was a program developed for people in jail and for unserved, underserved youth populations. So we're in some alternative high schools. And what it does Absolutely. is it addresses their current barriers and what they need to do to get to where they want to go for the rest of their lives. So what do they want to do? You know, we don't talk enough about how people can um, be employed in something that they're going to enjoy. How are they going to be fulfilled? How are they going to manage their life skills to run a life? So, you know, we just, you know, the, the old saying, just pull your bootstraps up. Well, what if people don't have bootstraps, Jay? Yeah. You know, um, that's that's a big deal. So it that's one of our deal. programs. And um, in that is my uh, project development and wellness specialist, Danielle, is amazing. She has developed a system to where people also are addressing their mental health. 
at the same time, because that's a really big chunk. Nice. Especially with the youth, because many of them are are in the foster care system, mm-hmm. or um, they're the parents in the household in a way. Right. Children that because families uh, parents are are sick themselves with addiction. Mm-hmm. Some, some yeah. Disorders. So there's a lot going on for these kids, but we have to give them the roadmap on how to get out and how to develop their own life. That's how we empower people to have a better society. So again, um, that's one of our programs. We also have peer recovery specialists. This was a big deal to me too. Five years ago, I realized, well, when I was working in the field more, I always knew and felt that no one can relate to people that are still actively using better than somebody who has been there. And, and this, this carries across to almost all aspects of the, of the kind of the mental health realm, right? Is that, um, you know, the, the peer, if, if you're dealing with somebody who's dealing with the same thing you are, it's going to be way more effective. Talk to talk a little bit about that. I'm, I'm really anxious to hear about this. Absolutely. So I am a, grateful to say that I can hire people with lived experience, even those that have been in the criminal justice system. Those are the ones that I want, actually. Right. And this and many of them want to give back in this way. They mm-hmm. know what they've been through. They know. And it's it's not there's a misunderstanding about people that um, like a sponsor with AA or something. This is not that these people are trained. They go through several different training systems to develop their skills in motivational right. interviewing and, and how the actual uh, social service system treatment, all of mm-hmm. that, they get informed and knowledgeable about what's out there for individuals, because you even said a minute ago, this is not a one size fits all. Right. You know, some persons might need, if, if they're not on, op- if they're not dealing with an opioid disorder, then going to a medication assisted treatment provider isn't going to do them any good because that's strictly for opioids. Right. Uh, now there's some, there's, there's some different types of systems co- and treatments coming out regarding meth use mm-hmm. because um, usually there's a, an underlying chronic health condition there, such as um, ADHD or right. um, uh, bipolar disorder. So there's, but they're addressing that and not so much addressing the meth disorder. So right. meth use. So those types of things, that's just a tip of the iceberg in terms of the right. variations right. of what people. So the peers can have those conversations with people. This is what I was struggling with. Right. I went to jail for this. I lost my children because of this. Uh, I lost everything. I'm all my support, my family. And nothing speaks volumes than seeing and having a conversation for somebody who thinks, and and this is very common, who thinks there's no way I'm going to ever get out of this. And they can sit across the table from somebody who has. So that's a really big deal. And um, I I have an amazing team of peers and I've always believed even, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled that it's becoming more and more a part of a healthcare team in the behavioral health arena. That's what we need. We need more of them and they need to be integrated and paid as well as any other healthcare professional on that team. Um, So my peers go through some different trainings um, there. That's, that's a big growth area. And, and I just, I I can't say enough about them. Yeah. And, you know, learning a little bit about PTSD and teen mental health, whenever you can sit across the table from somebody, 
some of the most effective ones are people that have struggled with it themselves because they, you can look and say, if this person struggled with the same thing I did and they came out on the other side and they're still struggling, but they're doing okay. And they're actually leading an effective life that has so much deeper of an impact um, than, than other kinds of treatments. And that, that's obviously what your peers are doing. Absolutely. And, and, and it's that trust. It's the exactly. trust. They, they can disclose so much more because right. again, this, the way we um, operate, and this is, this is very, very important. And my staff knows this is we want that person to feel that we're their support system, no matter what, if they relapse, if they, they lose it again, they're, they're going to crisis, whatever the case may be, right. they can still walk in our doors and we're going to be here for them no matter what. And that's quite often the case. Yeah. And it's, it's, I think that's what's give, creating more of an awareness of our services and our systems because of that. People, right. you know, it, it does none of us any good to, and, and this has been a traditional method in more traditional healthcare programs and treatment programs is if somebody can't even get to their appointments, they fire them. They fire right. them as a patient. What is that? You know, a lot of these people oh. don't even have a vehicle. Right. So we're asking them to take buses and have money to be able to get there. I mean, it, it's, it's it, being poor is a really difficult life. And, um, we we don't necessarily allow for those types of conditions and barriers when people are trying to do the right thing for their health. Well, and when we talk about barriers, how difficult is it is it and how has it changed over the last five years of people taking that step to come to you? I mean, that's that's a giant first step, and that's got to be a huge barrier to just take that leap and go. I need, I need your help. Yeah. Yeah. So let me kind of finish with some of our other programs. So we have a craft training program, um, which is a community reinforcement family training program, because that's one of the things that, uh, that, you know, I, I'm Mm -hmm. also been personally affected by this. And so that's, that's sort of what feeds my soul and, and this battle it's personal. Um, And so I, we, it's a training system. It's an actual eight-week training system to teach loved ones, parents, children, partners, anybody, how to communicate with their loved one, but also learn to self-care because our families are just as sick as that individual. We have, a, you know, the stress, chronic health conditions, oh, heart right. disease, blood pressure, everything that happens to the families too. They may not be using the substance, but they are definitely uh, living in crisis as well. Yeah. So that's an eight-week program. And what's happened out of that is it's turned into a support system for the loved ones. So I have some families that have been in that program for over two years, and it's an eight-week program. Oh, so, that's awesome. So it is awesome. So they they are able to, that, they're like peers to each other. Right. Right. They are peers to each other in their own support and systems. Exactly. And that's so needed. And so we communicate, we as an organization can support loved ones and educate them about the different systems out there that can maybe support and help their loved one. 
So that's that's one of the other programs. We also have what a cool organic kind of growth thing. That's awesome. It is. It is. And and I'm kind of going in the order of how these things happen too. So um, we also have AccuDetox services. I don't know if you've ever heard of AccuDetox, but it's ear acupuncture that helps people with anxiety and depression and sleep disorders, uh, cravings, withdrawals. And it, it's a fantastic, it's for anybody. We we give a lot of AccuDetox to our first responders out there, teachers, staff. We, we do a lot really? of different wow. clinics for people because again, they're struggling because they're they're frontline working right. with people that are right. struggling in this arena. Yeah. So um, we have to take care of them too. Yep. And that, that's one of our, our philosophies. And so that's one. And we also have a mom's grant. It stands for the maternal opioid model. It is specifically, we're partnered with a, um, a healthcare provider to take folks that are um, wanting to have a healthy pregnancy. And if they have a substance use disorder, we get them into treatment. We also, on our end, as a harm reduction organization, our part is to fill in all the other parts of the pie. They get the healthcare wow. piece of the pie, and the rest of it is finding a place to live, finding safety, yeah. getting good nutrition, doing all those other things, and making a plan for when they have that baby. What is that going to be like? Where do you want to be? What do you want to do? How are you going to support yourself? So we start working with people at that level. We've, we've we fill the needs. We just are, are one of our moms, literally one of my staff had to go to Walmart and buy baby clothes for her and um, uh, some bedding because we got her into a family shelter type system for now. So it, it's those little things. They sound so they're small. big things. For, no, they're big, no, things. They're yes. big things because, because you know, it actually helps people set them up to go to the next level um, without that should be on the streets. Yeah, exactly. Because a lot of, you know, okay, so we're going to treat the, the mental and the physical parts of this illness that you're dealing with. That's just a, a little bit of a piece. So it's like, if you can get your arms around that, then there's all this other stuff. They got to figure out how to live Yes, and they got to have that support. And that's what you guys are providing. So that that's salute for that. Right. And, um, we have a clothing bank. So we're always taking uh, donations and, and, you know, folks come in for just about everything, even folks that aren't in any of our programs, because again, we live in, in fact, the building behind me here, I'll get to that here shortly. Um, it's a building that we bought last November. All and right. we're going to, It's a 14,000 square foot property. And we're going to increase all of our other services and bring in, more healthcare pieces. We've got a partnership with the library district to do adult education opportunities and have a, um, a, a learning lab available for them to. That's fantastic. Yeah. So um, that's one. Again, we do, you know, we, we partner with a lot of community organizations mm -hmm. and agencies and everybody, but it's not enough to tell uh, one of our clients here, go, this is who you need to call. We literally grab them by the hand and say, we're going with you. And so let's make this call from here. Let's set you up. Let's find you a contact and right. let's call the warm handoff. And so we, we kind of go that extra step because that's also a big problem with our systems. We got have to make sure that people are getting from this point to the next point. How are they even going to get there transportation wise? Right. Right. Where are they living? Are they able to get to that point? Um, 
Then, of course, we have our syringe service program and our overdose prevention services. And kind of the same thing. We have a lot of individuals. They know us very well. They know that we are here not to... You know, I, I I love the conversations. I know a lot of people don't like the, the question when it's asked, aren't you just enabling? Um, I like that question because I like to break it down and tell people no, because if we weren't doing this, first of all, before we even got here and opened five years ago, this neighborhood alleys were full of contaminated syringes for one. Um, we had a lot of people the, the rates of, of illness and wounds were a lot higher. Um, and so we're addressing that. And that is, that is why we do what we do. Plus again, that relationship yeah. and people know because they learn. I mean, we have, we're never going to say, Hey, you need to get well, let's do this. You need to come in and see our, our treatment mm-hmm. provider. We don't do that when they're ready because they have to participate in their healthcare and they have to do it in an environment that is going to um, enhance that decision-making for them by treating them with dignity and respect. And that's what that does. And we have had several individuals remembering coming in for the syringe service program and remembering to come back in on Monday or Wednesday to see the medication assisted treatment provider because they want to get well. So awesome. Well, yeah. I have to ask about this. One of the incredible statistics I saw on the website was is in 2021 alone, you guys helped take out more than 270,000 needles kept off the streets. I mean, explain how you're having such an amazing impact with that. That is a a staggering number. It is a staggering number and it was higher the year before. I mean, and this Uh, is not, we're not talking New York city. This is Pueblo, Colorado, which is a a nice size city, but I mean, 270,000. Yes. And I thank you. That's a great question too. Um, because people are motivated. Part of the program is to bring back more than you take out. So, um, a lot of our, our regular clients, they participate in this. They, they are an extension of the services that we do because paying it forward. Yeah. They bring in for other people. They bring in used syringes for other people. And so there's also motivation when people bring back 10 or more syringes, they get out a little bit more than if they didn't bring any back. And two, we do that education. We tell people, you know, we're here because we're keeping the neighborhood safe and free. Now, are you going to find a syringe every now and then? Of course you are. And, you know, there are two, two syringe service programs here in Pueblo. And so, you know, people don't just get syringes from us. That That's not the only way. And then everybody uses our services. I wish they did because right. then they would get the education on how to keep our streets cleaner from that type of medical waste and the, the damage that it does cause. So I wish we had more people in here. We, we still are only serving a very small portion of people that are actively using um, through IV drug use. Wow. So, um, yeah, so it is, it's a staggering amount. It Very is proud amount. of that fact. Um, you know, it waxes and wanes. We, you know, we never stopped through the pandemic. We, I think 
I, I shut down for a week because I just needed to get my bearings and find out what is this thing right. and where are we going. But then we we have to because we are a public health service and we have to be open. So um, God bless my staff. They're amazing. They've yeah. hung in there with me. And, you know, we've we've worked through the challenges of a once in a century pandemic. And um, and people needed that because we also saw an increase. And I'm sure you've seen that data. We've we've had a huge increase in overdose deaths due to fentanyl um, use and um, contamination. I call it contamination because a lot of folks don't know they're using fentanyl and they overdosing. So um, I want to talk to also we have a program where my peers go into the jails working through the, the JVBS program. So that is the the program that helps people coming out of jail, case managing them to help them get on a better path. And again, what you were saying, my peers do the right. other I was gonna say there's that's, only so much that government agencies and systems and healthcare can do. That's where the peers can really have an impact. Exactly. We can help people find a job. We can help yep. them get on insurance. We can help them get food access. We can help them find housing, you know, I mean, within reason, because Pueblo definitely needs more housing. That's a whole other conversation for another podcast. Same endeavor, but, but yep. Yes, yes, exactly. So we all know what the housing crisis is. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition, just, we just launched on October, or excuse me, August 1st. I am so excited to see we are now part of the wages program through the Colorado Department of Corrections. That oh, fantastic. Stands, yeah, that stands for work and gain education and employment skills. And so we get referred um, people that are coming out of prison to um, start their life. They've, they've done their obligation. And so, yeah, so that's, that's exactly what we get to do. And, and our organization is really a natural fit for this because we're already doing this. So um, I have an amazing case manager who's helping people. We, we are now in the process of um, getting a house set up for people that are needing housing. Not everybody that's coming out of incarceration needs housing, but um, we want to make sure that somebody has that system. And, you know, again, these things don't happen overnight. A lot of individuals, not just coming out of incarceration, but also in developing new in their recovery, a lot of times they're also dealing with a tremendous amount of trauma, Um, whether it's from childhood, current circumstances, whatever it is. So their their mental health is not in a good place. So that's another thing that we can account for. I can hire people to do this work if they choose to. and also learn the the methods and the practices it takes to give back. Because again, that's what we need. We need more individuals that are willing to participate in the wellness of others. For sure. And this is not a fair question. I always preface it, but do you have any favorite success stories that that really stand out for you? Oh gosh. Yes, there is. Um, there are several, but I, I just one just came to mind. So there is a um, a young man that came to us recently. This just happened in the last two weeks. He's he was on the streets. He was in one of the encampments in our neighborhood, and um, young 
you know, they, they've, they've gotten younger and younger. Mm -hmm. And I would guess he's in his early twenties. Um, very disheveled. You could tell really struggling for a long time, emaciated. And he kept coming in one day, my peers kept talking to him and my staff, you know, cause again, one of the things that I, I really try to do is, is take care of my staff too. Cause sure. that's another piece. What we do is heavy. So I yeah. tell them when you need a mental health day, you take that mental health yeah. day. So just kind of a, I feel like that's also a part of the model. I do unlimited PTO, you know, as long as people aren't taking advantage of it, nobody ever right. does. But um, if people need a day off or time out, they take it and they, so that's what we do. And so when they come back, they're at their best. So one of my peers kept engaging this young man. He kept coming in for a, a cup of noodles and some granola bars and every day he'd show up. Finally, he said one day, I, I am done. There's a warrant out for me in another county. So I'd have to turn myself in, but I want help. We were able to get him. Um, we got him an Uber to the county he needed to go to. We talked to his uh, probation officer and um, they managed to clear him going to treatment instead of jail. So he is now actually up north in a two-year program. Wow. And he had the courage, and, and I don't think that would have happened if it weren't for my peers. I know it wouldn't right. have happened. Right, Because the peer that was working with him is just, she's been there, and she's a beautiful, beautiful soul, and was able to communicate that compassion to this wow. young man to have the guts to turn himself in. That's wow. frightening in and of itself. And so, yeah, that's, that's just that one awesome. of many. I'm sure every day. <laughs> so what, what is it that really keeps you energized for this work? And what is it that excites you about the future? Well, um, I'm really excited because there's, there's, as I mentioned earlier, we purchased a 14,000 square foot building and what that building is going to have in it is it, it's going to be a community center for all of the citizens of Pueblo but it is going to have sections of it so where we can expand our work and do more of it because that is, you know, government politicians, they all talk yeah. about this and right. they want something done. Well, you know, organizations like SCARA, we need the infrastructure to be able to do it. We have mm -hmm. the goods, we have the capabilities, right. but there needs to be investment in organizations like mine. So yeah. this this organization, we're going to have wings of different healthcare systems. Nice. For example, there's going to be a whole harm reduction wing. We're going to be adding showers and laundry services so people come in and clean up. Homeless folks can get a shower, have something to eat, do their laundry for free. Because the more they hang out, they start asking questions. How can I get a job? Right. What do I need to do? Upstairs, we've got an entire healthcare wing. I have two healthcare partners. Um, this is, again, a big part of what I wanted what, under one roof. We have an urgent care pop-up clinic um, nice. that is out of Denver. So they they see folks and they also are able to tell people when and tell us when people need to go to the emergency department. I mean, as, as an RN, I was doing that sort of on the... Right. Um, 
as a citizen type person, but to actually have a healthcare system in place that does that. And we have a medication assisted treatment provider that comes in. So that's going to be part of the healthcare wing. And also um, I've been in conversation with several behavioral health partners who want to have a site that's here. That's fantastic. So that's one area. We're going to have a grocery store a system. So food access. This is neighborhood wow. is a food desert. So there's a dollar store and some restaurants and bars. Mm. That's that's all there is. So people that do not have that transportation, that's, right. a, that's a huge barrier. Right. They're back in the day, and and I'm I'm a seasoned lady. There used to be two beautiful grocery stores here. I remember them. Mm. Um, walking in there with my mother, being a little girl, and seeing all the beautiful produce along the wall. Right. Uh, that does not exist here, mm. and. That is part of wellness. That is part oh, of right. Is if people don't eat healthy and have access to it, then we're just, you know, it just compounds all the other issues exactly. that are happening exactly. here. So the, this is what I'm excited about. This That's is great. one aspect of it. Um, but, you know, we, we have doubled every year since 2017. And last year we tripled in scope wow. and size. So we must be doing something right. Well, you must be doing something right. I mean, in a perfect world, you'd go out of business, right? But the reality yeah. is there's more need for your service than ever. And it's expanding. And at least the great news is you've got the capacity to, to expand, to better meet the need. We um, do, but we need partnerships, you know, yep. th these types of things. We need partnerships with say the criminal justice system, because we're very, a lot of what we do, there's crossover, obviously right. working with people coming out of jail, working mm -hmm. with people coming out of prison. And, you know, in, in Colorado, this is unfortunate, but 63% of all felony cases are still for possession only. Mm. Um, they're not the big guns, the cartels that we have, the big giant seizures, they're people for possession. Again, mm. that goes back to what we said earlier about this being a healthcare issue. Right. Why are 63% of the felony cases against people mm. that are sick and need healthcare, right. not prison. So yeah. yeah, the struggle's real, my friend. This, the struggle is real. Um, well, this has been, been awesome. Um, I, I like to wrap these up. I got, I got four final questions for you. Uh, the first one is a little to change gears just a little bit is what is something you will listen to read or watch today? <laughs> Oh gosh, listen to read or watch. So I am a bit of a news junkie, <laughs> um, but I, I spread it around. I think it's important for people to educate themselves on their news sources. Um, Pro tip. Yes, yes. So I I am engaged in a lot of that. And I I like to stay knowledgeable about what other systems and the podcasts are great. And and also I will have a moment of my own mental health. I yeah. will listen to something. I will do a meditation. I will um, take a time out, go outside and breathe the air. Um, so it's, it's important that the caretakers take care of themselves. Well, and I hope this is a, this is a great theme that I hope a lot of people listening will carry with them from this other than all the great information is some great leadership tips here about, about caretaking, mental health, uh, being in tune with your staff, all that, those are all great leadership, um, tips for all of us. So who would you say is a role model for you that has inspired you to do some of this kind of work that you're doing? I mean, this is, this is heavy, heavy lifting, heavy stuff you're doing. So what, who's been an inspiration for you? 
Oh gosh, I have several, but probably the 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 one I follow, and, and he's an author, um, Gabor Mate, Dr. Gabor Mate. He is a physician in Vancouver, Canada, who is really seen as the um, pioneer of harm reduction in North America. Mm. And he has several books out that are amazing. It, it really helps you understand the connection to trauma and substance use disorders. Awesome. Um, I, other than your own organization, is there an organization out there that you really admire the work they're doing? The Latino Coalition of Colorado. They are the folks that um, we are were funded through for the wages program, but I hadn't really understood the scope and depth of the type, like even their own history, how they developed, because they are ensuring that organizations that are led by people of color like myself are getting access to the table, not just of funding, but policy development, um, changing the scope, because we have the, the data, we have the empirical data that's showing efficacy of what we do. And um, it's been ignored for too long. So I, I am a huge fan and very grateful to now be a part of that family. Terrific. Lastly, if anybody wants to learn more about Southern Colorado Harm Reduction Association, volunteer support, where can they find you? They can go to our website. We actually also have a Facebook page at SoCo Harm Reduction. And our our website is www.socoharmreduction.org. Awesome. Well, we'll put all that in the show notes, Jude. This has been enlightening. Godspeed. Keep up the great work. and, And thanks so much. Thank you, Jay. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been brought to you by JC Charity and Event Services, where we help build great organizations. If you're interested in how I might be able to bolster your efforts and help your team achieve its goals, I'd love to have a conversation with you. You can find me at makingourworldbetter.com. To learn more about the Southern Colorado Harm Reduction Association and how you can support their efforts, visit socoharmreduction.org. Check the show notes for links. And if you enjoyed this podcast, we'd be grateful if you'd tell a friend and leave a review. Until next time, I hope you're inspired to find a way to make our world better.